A Frontier Story by Johnny D. Boggs. This book is read by Anne Flosnick. For Walter Edgar. 1766. Chapter 1. Emily ran. She wanted to scream but didn't think she had enough breath. Besides, what was the use? Hours earlier she had crossed Spring Branch and traveled so far down the Cherokee path that when the renegade surprised her, no one back in 96 could have heard her. Even the warblers and grasshopper sparrows that had been singing that morning had flown away. The three men had startled her, silently appearing from behind a giant Oglethorpe oak on the other side of the trail. Two wore beards and greasy buckskins, while the other was clean-shaven, all dangerous. All carried hatchets and knives in their belts, and each held a rifle. She's a devilish good piece, the one with the leather eye patch had said. When they surprised her, Emily had been on her knees beside a ditch, filling a tin pail with blueberries. She had almost screamed, but the fat man with the blubbery cheeks had brought a finger to his lips, smiling, telling her, keep your breath to cool your porridge. That had stopped her from crying out. That and the fact that the third man, the tall dark one donning a ribbon shirt and calico turban of the Cherokees, had tossed his long rifle to eye patch, and slowly, noiselessly moved toward her, his eyes as hypnotic as a rattlesnake's. They could be long hunters, merely on their way to the tavern at ninety-six, she tried to tell herself, but Emily knew better. Ain't you the moon-eyed hen? The Cherokee had broken the silence, flashed her a black-toothed grin while unbuckling the belt that held his knife and hatchet. Eyepatch and blubber cheeks had laughed, which is when she overcame her paralysis, grabbed the pail, and flung it, blueberries and all, into the Cherokee's face. As soon as the pail left her hands, before she even heard the pail strike and the Indian cuss, she had gathered her legs, leaped across the ditch, and fled into the woods, into the timbers, dodging hardwood trees, crushing saplings under her feet, feeling the briars and brambles rip at her dress, her skin. A branch knocked off her bonnet, and she felt a trickle of blood run through her blonde hair. Her lungs burned. She bent over, kept moving, turning and spinning, deeper into the forest, leaping over rotting trees, over a sinkhole, dashing to nowhere. Emily knew her mistake. She should have stayed on the Cherokee path, headed back to Spring Branch North and West to 96, where she would have been certain to run into some trader or settler, or even south on the path until it merged with the trail to Kiowee. Yet for all she knew, other black hearts might have been posted down the trail to intercept her if she fled. Heading into the woods had been a foolish notion, a decision fueled by panic. She could hear the men's feet crushing the leaves and twigs behind her, gaining on her. She couldn't hide. The marauders were too close. Darkness would not come for hours, so she wouldn't live long enough to see this day's sun set. Her decision had cost Emily her life, and she hated herself for being so careless, so foolish, for acting like a frightened child. On that warm summer morning, 16-year-old Emily Stewart was living in the back country, having settled there with her family barely six years after Robert Gowdy had opened the trading post in the district. Many Charlestown traders thought Gowdy's post lay 96 miles south of Kiowee, a major Cherokee town, hence the settlement's name, 96. 
no hyphen. Emily's father often joked that the hyphen had been the first thing Gaudi had traded for a sizable profit. In 1754, her father had left Georgetown to build a tavern near Gaudi's post. Three years later, Breck Stewart had returned to fetch Emily, her mother and brother, to the frontier. Another brother and a sister had been born since they had settled in the hilly forests of South Carolina. With the exception of several months during a war with the Cherokees a few years back, Emily had been living on the frontier for nine years. She knew what life was like in the back country. She was no fool. During that time, she had seen just how far away 96 was from the landed gentry of the Carolina coast, where women dressed in fine silk, carried parasols and fans to protect their features from the heat, and men donned white wigs, fancy waistcoats, and cocked hats. 96 and the back country were peopled with women in homespun and